Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 206, the June 1986 issue on sale March 11th of 1986, with a cover price of 75 cents. This one is titled, Freedom is a Four-Letter Word. Freedom is a Four-Letter Word, which is a title I don't really understand. Word. I don't get it. Why word? is freedom a four-letter word? Word is a four-letter word. You know what's ironic? Four is a four-letter word. A lot of words in that sentence are four-letter words, no. except for the word freedom. Actually, only the words for and word are four-letter words. Everything else is more or less. That's two words more than the one word, which is supposed to be a four-letter word. Um. Yeah, freedom is a four-letter word. And in the context of this entire story... Yeah, I don't, it doesn't really, also doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Now, Janice Joplin said freedom's just another word for, no, what did she say? Freedom's just another something for nothing left to lose. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Oh, yeah, that, okay, because freedom is a word. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) There you go. Uh, this, she doesn't say that, uh, and Cake says that friend is a four-letter word. Oh, uh, I'm not a huge Cake fan, so I guess I'm not familiar with that song. Do they sing the Going the Distance song? That's them, yeah. Okay. I know that song. Everybody knows that song. Well, well everybody that knows Cake knows that song. There you go. I guess I guess I know Cake then, don't I? You sure do. Okay. Almost as much as Simon and Garfunkel. No. <laughs> yeah, only their popular stuff. <laughs> All right, anyways, um... The cover of this issue is... Um, it's pretty mediocre. It's mediocre, but I still like it. Uh, I like it too, actually. I like Rogue a lot because of all of the hash, hash marks. Yeah. Rogue is good. Um, Blob, by the way, is on the cover, and he's he's got FF on his uh, little suit, so I guess he's joined the Fantastic Four. Yes. <laughs> It's a slightly different logo where the, the F and the F are combined in such a way that you might not even notice that they're, they're Fs. Oh, that's true. It also uh, kind of looks like the Black Lodge logo from Twin Peaks, although it has an extra little dash in it. Hmm. It's a stretch, but it kind of it's kind of there. But Blob also weirdly has Rachel in his hand, just kind of shaking yeah, her around like a rag doll. It's a very strange size for Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> Something's misproportionate here. And then underneath the blob, the ground is being lifted up by Colossus, and some girl who I'm not familiar with is lifting Storm out of the hole. Yeah, my first impression was like, that's a really bad drawing of Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. And it is Kitty Pride. And, and it, in fact, is a really bad drawing <laughs> of Kitty Pride. And we'll find out why she looks so weird as as we get into the issue. But all things considered, I... I it's mediocre, but it uh, it still catches me. I like this cover. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, it's good action. It yeah. just I don't know needs better inking or something. The art's very flat. I think that's maybe part of the problem. As we Cyclops o- is no longer in the Marvel box. Finally booted him out. I think they booted him out last issue, but we didn't mention it. Oh, well, I think the last issue didn't it just have Wolverine in the? Uh, not in the not in the Ghost. Oh no, it didn't. It had everybody. Yeah, no. Except for Cyclops, yeah. Seems like it would have been a good opportunity to just have a solo Wolverine in that logo box. But anyways, this issue is written by Chris Claremont, drawn by John Romita Jr. and Dan Green. Linus Oliver is the colorist. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. And Andrew Senti is the uh, editor. Jim Shooter is the chief. 
And we see Storm standing in front of the neon title. So maybe it's not even the title. <laughs> well, it does maybe say it's just a neon sign behind her that says "Freedom" is a four-letter word. It does say, and for some reason, it also says "Stanley Presents." And it says "Starring the Uncanny X-Men." That, that could just be what's going on. Total coincidence. Having a good time, boys. Says a silhouetted Storm. There are some alley punks that are shaking up a, a couple that are. I'm guessing they're in Chinatown here. Yeah, I would. Yeah, given given a lot of the text, mm-hmm. seems to be that iconography. And these uh, these boys here are all like, "This is our turf. We do what we want." That's right, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Mama. Uh, the guy in the foreground here with the knife, he reminds me of Jimmy Walker for some reason. <laughs> this is our turf. We do as we please. And to whomever we please, you challenge us, babe. You gonna regret it. So he, they take off. They got nunchucks and and like batons and daggers. Doesn't know how to use those nunchucks. He's spinning them around his head. He's got to know something. That's not how you use nunchucks. <laughs> I bet you he calls them numchucks too. <laughs> take her, they say, and she's got a devilishly happy look on her face. She says, "Foolish boys." She picks up a, um, I don't know, a tarp or a blanket from the ground and takes out two of the punks with that. She steps on a two-by-four, bringing it to her hands, and she hits a couple of other guys in the head. Making two different noises. There's a cadaw and a pecam. Yeah, well, they have... Maybe that one guy's got gear in his face. Yeah, maybe. And uh, he's like, uh, there's one guy left. He's a big guy. And uh, she's like, well, do you want to reconsider? You've seen what I can do. And she's like, well, of course you don't. What a waste of breath. He comes at her, and she breaks the two-by-four over his head. In a comical bonk. (laughs) Bonk. And then the police show up, and she, and it's a detective uh, and two um, plain, or what do you call these cops? Two badges, Plain clothes, but I think plain clothes means they're they're not wearing their uniforms. Yeah, no, she's the detective, and they're the badges, so I don't know what they are, street cops or whatever. And uh, she shows up, and they're all like, hey, I know who she is. She's part of the... Yeah, I recognize him, too. Leave her to me. The uh, couple is says that Storm saved them from the gang. She took them on single-handed. I hope she killed them all, says the guy. Uh, Pretty violent. This The lieutenant here, who is in the plain clothes, she is uh, Lieutenant Bree Morell, and she doesn't care what the world thinks about mutants, especially the X-Men have proven themselves to her. Glad you're around. Hope you'll stay in San Francisco. They shake hands, and Storm leaves the scene of the crime and says, I am Storm Lieutenant, and perhaps we shall. And this is when I realized they're still in San Francisco. Yep, me too. I somehow thought they were back in New York, but I guess... Must only be Wolverine. And Magneto. And Magneto. So Magneto went back to hang out with the New Mutants, and right. Wolverine went back to get his butt kicked. I would so guess... the Alpha Flight story must have happened a few months ago, even though the issue of Alpha Flight, the second issue of Alpha Flight that we covered, came out the same uh, month as the last issue of X-Men. Yeah, I mean, I guess this takes this takes place directly after the events of X-Men 203, because then we skipped over to 204 to see what's going on with Nightcrawler, and then Wolverine for 205. So they are still at Jessica Drew's place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kitty has a new do and a new outfit. She's got, like, a skirt on and some fishnets, and she's going out on a date with David Ishima, who I don't know who that is. It's sort of ironic that um, he kind of looks like the Beyonder. Um, <laughs> she dresses up like this after 
freaking out when Storm dressed like this. So I don't know. They never really they never really touch on that irony. Yeah, and do they even address Kitty getting over her taken abackedness of Storm's appearance? Not really. She just they they have a confrontation about it, and she just says, "Oh, that's right." Yeah, I'm 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 just upset because of my parents, and you're like a mom to me, and everything's going backwards, and then we never they never talk about that again. So David Ishima, who Storm knows, are we supposed to know this guy? I didn't know. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. So he has tickets for the big Lila Cheney gig at the Chi-Chi Club. Is this the first Lila Cheney? Uh, In the pages of the X-Men, I think so, yeah. Have we seen Lila Cheney in anything else? Uh, New Mutants. Remember she was like sort of dating uh, Cannonball? Oh, wait, I'm getting Lila Cheney confused with somebody else. Okay, yeah. Okay, yes, yes, definitely. We definitely did. And uh, She's still dating Cannonball, actually. Apparently, uh, David Ishima is Jessica Drew's boyfriend. Okay. That okay. makes sense. So if you're following the exploits of Jessica Drew, you would know who this guy is. Jessica Drew being Spider-Woman, but I guess currently not having her powers. Right. Uh, Storm Storm's a little hesitant about this whole thing, but uh, she's like, okay, we'll go have fun, but be home soon and they're trying to get me in trouble miss pride kitty's flirting with him so i assume jessica drew is probably 24 25 year old woman david's probably the same age isn't kitty 13 uh she's got to be 14 by now 14 i mean this is this is weird i mean she looks like a little she looks like a girl who's playing dress up she does but i mean yeah i don't know it's weird david ishima should be not taking kitty to Lila Cheney at the Chi Chi Club. Well, it's not a date. It's like, you know, it's like going to see uh, a Patty Smith. <laughs> I don't back in the day. Know what that has to do with anything. I don't know. Wouldn't you wouldn't you take your daughter to go see Patty Smith? I would take my daughter to see Patty Smith. I would think it's really weird if you took my daughter to see Patty Smith. <laughs> like, okay, well, well, what if like what if I was like uh, a neighborhood friend, and that was the only way she was going to get to go. Neighborhood creeper, more like it. But I, I, I think they're all, you know, it's a happy Marvel family. Everybody all right. knows everybody. Yeah. You're probably right. It's probably very altruistic, like, hey, I got nothing else to do. These people are bored. I'll take the girl out. She'll have some fun. I think David Ishima is a regular Spider-Woman character, but I don't I don't know what that what Spider-Woman even has as a comic book anymore. I don't think so, no. I'm sure she just shows up in the pages of Avengers, Fantastic Four, wherever. Maybe West Coast Avengers. This is another of Chris Claremont's callbacks. Totally. I wonder if anybody cares what's happening with David Ishima. <laughs> And so they they head out on their date. Uh, Storm's like, oh, if my hair were not already silver, which is also equally weird because isn't Storm like 17? Well, she's she's got to be in her like 20s by now, right? Uh, Maybe, I guess. I would say that Storm is 21. Okay, I go with you on that one. So, yeah, they're they're. Doing a household thing. They're cleaning up the... I guess they just had a dinner or something. Or maybe they're cooking dinner. I don't know what's going on. But dishes are being washed. Dishes are being moved by Rachel telekinetically. Oh, yeah. She says, you missed dinner. And Storm says, it smells delicious, but I am not hungry. And, Which is uh, surprising. You would have think after beating up all those thugs, she would have worked up an appetite. She stopped at a 7-Eleven. She had a, <laughs> you know, hot dog and a taquita. 7-Elevens are everywhere. <laughs> I know. It's 
first thing that came to my head. Roll. When I was in, I was in uh, Taipei. They were. Uh, that's how they would give us directions because we were Americans. Go, Go to the Seven Eleven. Did they have hot dogs on rollers in Taipei? Mm, no, but they did have uh, like street street food. Oh, like whole uh, alleys filled with different street foods. All Seven Eleven. It was none of it was Seven <laughs> Eleven. Mm. <laughs> I don't think anybody. There was no food at the Seven Eleven except for like crap junk food. Right. Rogue is going through the mail. I guess they've got everything forwarded from the mansion over to um, Jessica Drew's house. And uh, they got a postcard from Cyclops. Really ancient postmark. And it's a, it's a picture. Presumably dating this purposely but before X-Factor. Yeah, well, it's got to be because it's a the postcard is a picture of um, Madeline Cyclops holding the baby in front of their Alaskan home. Should point out. I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but Rachel is telekinetically uh, showing off by carrying the dishes to the sink yep. to get to be washed, and Rogue is making fun of her and saying, "Don't show, don't drop anything, show off." So now Rogue is trying to get to her by talking about the the postcard of Cyclops. I don't think she's trying to get to to um, Rachel. I think she's just like, "Hey, y'all." How about, uh, or look, we got a postcard that reminds me we should go visit them. And since we're on the West Coast, why don't we zip up north to Alaska, have a visit, and then we'll head on home. And Rachel flips out. She's like, no, I can't. It's too soon. I can't face Scott yet. I'm not ready to meet my father. Which is weird. Because they've already met. Yeah, many times. (laughs) She's even presented herself as Phoenix to her father. Yeah. And then she drops all the dishes. They crash on the ground. She screams, Rogue, and she flies in telekinetically, or I guess she telekinetically pushes Rogue over. Knocks her chair over. Look what you made me do. So next time, sugar, use your hands. Whoa. She falls over. Colossus is checking to see if Rogue's okay. And Rachel is in Jessica's Drew's kitchen, just throwing a big old telekinetic tantrum with dishes and silverware flying all over the place. Which makes me wonder if Legion borrowed this panel yeah maybe very possible rogue's like uh, cut it out this is this is Lindsay mccabe's kitchen who's who's jessica drew's roommate we got no call to wreck it we got no call to wreck it <laughs> you can't shut up leave me alone she says you don't understand none of you understand you can't keep running you're living a lie it's tearing you apart you have to tell scott who you are and where you came from it's the only way you can make peace with your ghosts. That's what I did. The night I we faced the beyonder, I came to terms with what I'd done to Carol Danvers. I accepted there's a part of me that'll always be part of me. I finally put my demons to rest, hun. It's hard, but you're ever going to live with yourself. You've got to do the same. Nice. Showing a little bit of growth by Rogue. Very nice. She's giving, giving Rachel a talking to. Well, she's come out. She's, she's some advice. Yeah, she's no longer kind of like the bad girl who's naively turned good, but still kind of under everybody's thumb. She's kind of come into her own, kind of taking a big sister role. Like, I've, I've been places. I've done things, but I'm better. Learn from me. I kind of didn't realize that she had come to terms with what she had done with Carol Danvers a couple issues ago. I thought she was just kind of reliving the moment, but I believe her. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it all comes together for me. Meanwhile, on TWA Flight 707, Amanda Sefton is flying, I don't know, somewhere. She's on a break. Uh, she's flying back. To, she's flying over the North Pole to Los Angeles, and she's kind of lamenting the fight that her and Nightcrawler had. London to Los Angeles. And she's, uh, she's tearing up a little bit, and she's 
thinking about how he resents her because he thinks that she knows more uh, than than she does and won't tell him. He even accused me of using my magical powers to make him love me. I never realized till then how simple words can hurt. (laughs) Another stewardess comes in and is like, I hope that creep's worth it. Once upon a time, he was. Which you would think would be a great opportunity to cut back to Nightcrawler, but not yet. (laughs) Well, we'll get that story later, I guess. So after the concert, Kitty and David Ishima are walking back to the uh, to the house, I guess, and uh, the wind picks up and all of a sudden an earthquake comes out of nowhere. They're walking down a street which Kitty wonders if it's really haunted, so everything's creepy out. And then, yes, uh, the, the, the ground starts to move in waves. Like a tidal Sidewalk. wave or an avalanche. David, hold tight to my hand and take a deep breath. And they phase through the street. Uh, this isn't a natural occurrence, is it? Nope. I think <laughs> the X-Men are under attack. Sorry. Yeah, all the other houses are fine. It's just the area in which they're walking, which is affected. And uh, a house... Oh, they, they destroying it. There's a lot of cars are getting destroyed. That's true. A lot, of, a lot of property damage, but at least some of the houses are being spared. One of the cars goes flying into David's house. So does David maybe live with Jessica? Yeah, he must, I guess, right? Or maybe is he a downstairs neighbor? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. And so the X-Men hear this racket. They come flying towards the front door, but they're stuck behind a web. They're caught like flies. Energy web. I sense hostile thoughts. Five all told. And Kitty's all right. Or Kitty's as well. She's all right. And so outside we see Spiral and Spider-Woman who are using their powers together. Uh, Spiral is enhancing Spider-Woman's power to make it more, more, I don't know, more powerful. We should note this is Secret Wars 1 Spider-Woman, not the Spider-Woman who's, and the X-Men are staying at the house of. So when uh, uh, Mystique decided to form the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or I mean reform the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, is Spiral and Spider-Woman a part of the team? I think they're both post-Sisterhood of Evil Mutants, and <laughs> um, they, are, they are Freedom Force members, as we, as we will get to. Sp- yeah, right. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Spiral is part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in X-Men number 199, I guess, as they're proving themselves to be Freedom Force but I don't know when they actually officially become or when they bring Spider-Woman on. So for- I also do not know. It was not, I don't think it was in the pages that we've seen. The last time we saw Freedom Force was in 200, right? Yes, not 199 and 200. Yeah, so she wasn't in that. So somewhere between now and then, they, they brought special government agent, what's-her-face, what's-her-face, Spider-Woman on to uh, <laughs> Secret, Secret War Spider-Woman. Yeah, I have no idea what her real name is, to be honest. I don't either. <laughs> So, uh, anyways, Rogue and Colossus uh, use their powers together to rip the psionic spider web apart. And because it is psionic, it's actually like a part of her. It's like a physical blow when it's get, when it gets ripped apart. And because it's enhanced, uh, it affects her even more so. And it knocks her unconscious, which just seems like an incredible weakness. Yeah, maybe Spiral shouldn't have. Um, done that to her it now to me like this is where things get confusing because it seems to me like spiral has like way more things to to deal with than being a government agent (laughs) and how with her six arms and her alien status 
would she even be able to be an official government agent? I feel like at this point, she is the just answer to a lot of conundrums for Chris Claremont. He's just like, ah, oh, I'll have Spiral do that. Spiral can enhance Spider-Woman's powers. Spider could, uh, Spiral can make Lady Deathstrike. Yeah. Spiral can do dance. She's got weird dancey powers. They can they can do pretty much whatever I need them to do. Yeah, that's true. Well, and she does introduce herself. She's like, um, we are Freedom Force X-Men and our mission is to place you under arrest. So she's like an ordained officer of the law. Although, man, look at that damage that they caused. Yeah. There's like burning cars. They destroyed the front of a house. Just seems wrong. And uh, Phoenix, she springs into action and she's like, oh, no, the government did this once to me before. I'll never let it happen again. And she jumps into action and Spiral takes her out. Zwonk. So consumed with righteous rage, you never notice me dancing a spell to turn your attack back upon you. See, she can do anything. <laughs> yep. I just have a dance for that. I got a dance for that. Uh, yours is hey, like, we need to figure out where we're going. There's a dance for that. Yours is a life rich with time, girl. If I stole it, I could remain young and vital almost forever. So she's got some sort of life absorbing power too. But as one of the freedom force, I must play by their rules and spare you for the moment. And that's when Pyro and Avalanche show up and they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Avalanche, you great thump. Look at what you've done. Good guys don't make a mess. We clean them up because he's Australian. Is he? Or, yeah, he's Australian. I always thought he was Cockney. Oh, he might be. I don't remember. <laughs> Anyways, he uh, he takes the flames off the cars and he makes like a gigantic flame phoenix or bird. Yeah, which is, is very similar looking to a phoenix, which just seems like somebody would say, hey, hey, John Romina Jr., can you make that look less like a phoenix? All right. We already did that. Maybe make it look like something else. Like, maybe, I don't know, not necessarily a firebird, but, uh, I don't know, a fire cow or something? <laughs> a fire stallion? A fire snake. That's cool. There you go. Could be all like... So he takes this fire, and he's like, he's just showing off. He's like, Pyro plays with fire, folks, but he never gets burned. I don't He's Cockney. He's not. There's a different guy who's Australian. It's the speed guy. Shabby, eh, Storm? Yeah. I got them all um, confused now. Is Avalanche Australian? Nah, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know what. He's just a he's just a lunk, I would guess. Hey, guys. I'm just a lunk. Oh, I'm just an Avalanche. And uh, they don't know that Storm is depowered, so uh, Pyro's kind of taunting her. And You're uh, the Weather Witch. Top this if you can, if you dare. Oh, my Cockney's not going anywhere. It's kind of going back to Australian. That's my fault. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, like, uh, Cockney is like a Dick Van Dyke. What, what does he say? Yeah, just think about uh, uh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. You're a weather witch. Top this if you can, if you dare. Harry Potter. <laughs> there you go. Tip top cheerio. And so it starts raining, and Storm uses this to her advantage by raising her hands as if she's commanding this rain to come down. But really, what it is, is that the fire that Pyro made hit the atmosphere and fog and then it started to rain and then she jumps into the air and she's flying and she thinks to herself goddess i am flying and it turns out that rachel is uh, not unconscious as we had thought but she is now telekinetically moving storm through the air to make it look like she's got her powers back and storm rolls with it and says you were warned villain uh, what no boy says avalanche this is when we learn that mystique uh, mystique's the boss we should have never 
uh, we should have never attempted this caper without her, Pyro says. It's like Spider-Woman is back uh, conscious again. And Rogue flies in and she's like, I got a feeling Mystique won't much applaud your initiative, especially when we womp y'all. Amateurs, says Spiral, must I do everything? And apparently she teleports Blob in, who just appears out of nowhere and punches Rogue. Oh yeah, there's a dance for that. Totally, the teleportation dance, duh. And uh, Rogue goes flying into the house, causing more damage to Jessica Drew's poor place. Or is that the neighboring house? Oh, it could be. It might be the neighboring place. Oh man. <laughs> just more damage. Spiral catches a glimpse of Storm, and she's like, wait a minute, something ain't right about this. That's not her power. Realizing what's going on, she targets Rachel with what looks like some sort of dance knives attack. It's a star dance. She's merely playing a part, pretending to be a star, and then a star thing happens. And then she yells, Storm! Or somebody yells, Storm. It's a a telekinetic Rachel. It's a really cool panel where her face is in the rain and Storm is getting flown out and, like, getting knocked over. It's it's pretty cool. Yep, she falls, and uh, this is where Kitty and David rush up. Kitty's like, you stay here, I'll take care of this. And he's like, no... I want to help. You're only human. You'll just be in the way. I've got to reach Aurora. She's also only human. Yes, but the opening of this book showed that she can handle herself. I think that's the whole purpose of those first few pages. Yeah, they need to show quite frequently that she can handle herself. So Kitty teleports into, or not teleports, she phases and then walks on air to catch Rach, uh, to catch Storm, but the momentum pulls her down. She's like, well, all right, I guess I have to phase into the ground. Hopefully Storm takes a breath or she might suffocate. Yeah, I guess it's easy to drown under Kitty's phasing power. I don't think it's Kitty's phasing power. It's it's being phased underground. There's no oxygen there, so it's like being underwater, which is something that uh, over the past, I don't know, 40 issues that Kitty's been in that they've been kind of working on. And I think now they're just like, okay, this is what's happening when she's underground. Let's roll with that. If we need to change it, we can always have spiral dance. Yes, we can always have the power dance done. From here on out, your powers were different. So says Spiral's dance. (laughs) Uh, Colossus, in a clever move, grabs a fire hydrant, rips it open, and attempts to spray it at Pyro. However, uh, once again, the blob steps in the way. Nice try, leadhead. But to nail my pals, you gotta get through me first. And that can't be done. So he diffuses all the water, goes every which way but on Pyro. and Which allows Pyro to counter with a fireball. And then Avalanche uh, creates another land wave, which buries Colossus underground. Colossus is actually a little surprised. He's like, they're using teamwork. We should really do that sometime. <laughs> But I'm no good with teamwork. I'm no good with plans. So Colossus is down. Storm and Kitty are underground somewhere. Rachel's knocked out. Blob's like, ain't had, never had so much fun. You ex-chumps are giving me grief. Uh, In a past, I'm going to love returning with interest. That's when the ground starts shaking and Colossus lifts up uh, Blob into the air. Because he can't be moved, but the ground beneath him can be. And Rogue grabs him from off of the ground that Colossus has lifted up and tosses him very far away. Happy He's land- a tiny little dot. Happy landings, fat boy. A couple of miles away by the Golden Great Bridge, he splashes into the water. Um, before he gets tossed, the uh, blob says, What makes this caper a real hoot is the fact that we're the heroes and you clowns are the crooks. So yep. 
I guess according to the government, the X-Men are officially wanted criminals and Freedom Force are officially uh, government agents. I think I think I think that that's what Blob thinks, but I don't think that's quite what's happening here. But it will be. Um, he also says caper, which is really it annoys me that everybody says caper. Is that just a thing in the 80s? Or yeah. is that just Chris Claremont giving everybody the same voice? That's a Chris Claremontism. Doesn't Wolverine always say, well, I don't like the looks of this caper? Uh, so other Spider-Woman shows up. Jessica Drew. Jessica Drew. And she recognizes, she said, that woman's calls herself Spider-Woman. Who does she think she is stealing my old identity? Who are you, lady? Where do you come from? How did, when did, she, when did Jessica Drew show up? She just showed up, you know, she just rolled up. Just, She's just just now yeah what's going on and that's when spider woman says that she is a federal officer which i presume means all of freedom forces are federal officers Mm -hmm. except she doesn't have an ff on her costume like everybody else does Hmm. maybe she's maybe she's just rolling with them right now yeah she's not actually a team member she's a government agent i think this they're trying to uh uh prove her right so this is her trial or maybe she's watching freedom force well it could be my colleague. Rate, it seems like Freedom Force is acting on their own uh, behavior, not like Mystique doesn't know about this. No. My colleagues and I are bringing these fugitive felons into justice, and that's all the explanation you're going to get unless you'd like to join them in prison. Once I'd have been more than a match for her, but I have no superpowers. I'm as vulnerable as Storm. Just <laughs> throwing Storm under the bus there. Seriously. <laughs> and now everybody's kind of back. Storm and Kitty are back. Colossus is back. Um, Rachel's probably still out for the count. And, uh, and Lindsay McCabe, the uh, roommate of Jessica Drew, is now hanging off of the side of the house. Help! Someone! Anyone! Help! And Rogue jumps in and says, uh, you handle the rescue, I'll cover your backs. And she grabs Spiral, and there's a power transfer here. I guess she thought she was going to be able to absorb Spiral's powers and knock her out, but what instead happens is that Spiral's consciousness goes into Rogue and essentially takes over, and she grows two more arms on each side of her. I like this uh, close-up of Rogue with the wild eyes. It's a a cool panel. I like how in every drawing of Storm with the absorbed Spiral power, it's just heavily inked and in shadows, as if they're like, we don't know how to depict it, so let's just ink it all out. Yeah, that's that's cheesy. I don't think it's cheesy. I think it's I actually think it's quite effective. I think it's, it's scarier this way because she, Spiral takes over and now the, she's just crazy. She's got like pointy fingers and a big uh, Cheshire cat grin. Yeah, I don't I don't like her face. I, I, I think that's I don't know, it's very Green Goblin-esque or something. It just it is. It is. I, I don't mind the silhouettes and the, the hands and I just think that face is kind of a cheat. It's all kind of a cheat because I I think I think they just didn't know how they were going to do this, so they just inked it all out. But it works for me. She says, "Spiral was born dancing through minds as through life. Once again, dancing. Yep. Stolen from my hateful, rightful form, I may be, but far from helpless. I danced my way into your brain. I did a mind dance on you." <laughs> So Kitty gets thrown by Colossus up to the second or third floor, it looks like, to rescue Lindsay McCabe. Nobody says fastball special. Very disappointing. I'm disappointed as well. Um, Kitty gets McCabe down to the ground. Uh, Rogue as Spiral has got Colossus over her head, and then she body slams him, basically, taking him out. 
Kafum. And uh, the X-Men are essentially defeated here. It's uh, made your last move, Storm. Game set and match to us. These civilians are under control, Pyro. There'll be no more trouble. And before uh, Kitty, what is Kitty doing here? Well, and neither shall the latest, uh, the wait, and neither shall the lastest, littlest X-Men. I don't know what she means there. Bid farewell, baby cat, to all nine of your misbegotten lives. So, so Spiral is acts, and Kitty is frozen in her tracks. Her mind, her body phasing in place like an image smeared along a sheet of paper, almost to the point where part of her loses physical cohesion and dissipates into nothingness. But that's all mentally. So she's on the ground just kind of clutching her head. Yeah, this just seems like overkill. I mean, it's really uh, from a from an art perspective, it's really cool. But from a story perspective, they didn't need to do that. It does seem was just being a jerk. It seems very intense. Yeah, and that's when um, Jessica Drew's like, I don't, I don't believe it, Lindsay. The X Men are beaten, and Freedom Force. They don't believe it. They're like, we won. Way to go, Freedom Force. Way to go, Freedom Force. Rogue is concerned that, or I mean, Storm is concerned that Rogue's power transfer might be permanent. Uh, she's like, you got to stop, because it looks like uh, Spiral's going to finish Kitty off. Well, no, she's going to finish uh, Spiral off. I believe that she is making the transfer permanent by touching Spiral, like by, by Rogue Spiral oh. touching Old Spiral. She's going to make it permanent in the same way that uh, Carol Danvers was made permanent. Sure. But then she's interrupted because the police show up, and before she can finish the transference, uh, she reverts back to her own body, and Rogue regains control of her body. Oh, glory, I'm myself again. Yep. Uh, Brie Morell, remember her? The lieutenant from previously shows up. Mm -hmm. She said, we're the law, you're in trouble. And they're like, well, we're federal agents. And they're like, okay, well, you have a warrant, right? And Blob's like, we're feds. We don't need one. I haven't gone through training yet. So I'm kind of just <laughs> making this up as I go. I came yeah, from the circus, you know. Tubbo. <laughs> and uh, Bree's like, well, the X-Men have committed no crimes here. So they are uh, free to go. Uh, they're civic heroes. You, Blob, Pyro, and Avalanche are posted felons. We've been pardoned. Check with the White House. They'll set you straight. And he's got a big smile on his face. So Bree throws a little bureaucracy at them, like, fine, you work for the government. Go get your paperwork. I'll get my paperwork, and then we'll go from there. You win this round, honey bunch. But if you know what's good for you, those muties better be here when we get back. Spiral, dance us out of here. <laughs> she does. She dances them out of there, and they're like, oh, man. The X-Men are sitting there with Bree like, wow, oh, what a mess. We're sorry. We didn't mean for this to happen. I know, youngster. Not that it matters. The city owes you a lot. This is where the, we balance those scales a little. Keep my drift storm. When Freedom Force returns, Bree, we shall be long gone. Finally. <laughs> so, Storm's like, well, I wish we could help and stay and repair the damage. And Jessica's like, oh, just send me a check. <laughs> We don't have any money. <laughs> the professor's in space and he doesn't give us access to the account. Do you want us to have Nito rob a gold place again? <laughs> we can have him send you a gold bar from Fort Knox. <laughs> and Rachel is looking at the postcard now and she kind of laments. Uh, she nearly died tonight uh, or got sent off to prison, blah, blah, blah. If she'd have gone to prison, she probably would have taken her own life. So maybe, maybe with the way things are going, maybe she should talk to Cyclops and 
dead. Let her know what's going on. It's probably a good idea. Yep. And that's when we cut to a San Francisco Memorial Hospital. An ambulance has shown up at an emergency room, and they've got a woman with multiple gunshot wounds, and they're going to get her into surgery in the blood bank. They're wondering who she is. She's got no ID. She's listed as a Jane Doe. It's a miracle she's made it this far. She's got a chance, Doc. We'll do our best, but I doubt she'll last the night. And I don't know who this woman is because it's a, it's a bloodied, orange-haired woman. But I didn't know who it was either. I was supposed. To, I was wondering if we're supposed to recognize her as Madeline Pryor. <laughs> I believe there's a coloring issue here, and then you're supposed to definitely recognize this as Madeline Pryor. Because, like, the only clue that I had that was the fact that Rachel is talking about Cyclops and Madeline, like, in the panel before. Otherwise, I would have had no idea who this was. Yeah. It, the, the hair is, is orange. And you're yeah. like, okay, I don't know who this dead woman is, but you, you almost you could almost look back and be like, okay, is this Amanda Sefton? Yeah. I mean, she was going to San Francisco. Maybe the plane crashed. Well, multiple gunshot wounds. Maybe it was a hijacking. <laughs> and maybe Nightcrawler's got to, like, deal with this ghost that they had a fight and she's almost dead and there's, like, a whole new storyline. But it's, it's, it's Madeline. We'll just. I'm not even like 100. I mean, maybe you've read ahead and you're 100% sure that it's Madeline, but I'm still not sure. I was just guessing. Oh, yeah. It's Madeline. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, across the continent in New York earlier the same evening, Nightcrawler is saying goodbye to that woman, Judith Razendil. From two issues ago. Yeah. She's a princess i don't know what the point of this page is but she's kind of like i feel sorry for you and he's like why would you feel sorry for me i'm having the time of my life i got damsels in distress arch villains to hunt down well nigh impossible odds to overcome all by my lonesome this isn't a game nightcrawler no matter how hard you try to make it so how much crazier can things get i'm the one who could be murdered at any moment wait are these two opposite balloons i'm confused (laughs) so i don't know if this is if um um, I, I guess I would imagine that Chris Claremont probably has the next few issues probably sketched out in his mind as far as where he wants the story to go. So, I feel like there is a missing Nightcrawler four-issue limited series that takes place in between 204 and 206. Cause it, well, maybe. But this is like a very – yeah, you, that, that very well could be. Um, but this is a very happy-go-lucky Nightcrawler who's craving the adventures and, and, and whatnot. And we know that we are heading into some serious times for the X-Men. So I don't know if it's just making it more, I don't know, real – for the reader, as they read Nightcrawler, trying to relive the old days of their adventures as the X-Men head into more gritty territory. Maybe. That makes sense when you put it that way. Or am I just overthinking it and maybe there's a missing miniseries somewhere? You know, whether or not there is a missing, there probably isn't, obviously, but it doesn't, like what you're saying doesn't actually affect whether or not there's a missing miniseries. I, I think for me just feels like there's a gap missing between like as as a reader that there there's really no story here it's no this character we were introduced in one issue now she's leaving and i don't know if we ever see her again but like i don't really care either <laughs> right it's just sort of like it just seems weird I, it, it's yeah i don't care about this this judith raz dill i'm just more interested in the in nightcrawler's what yeah, might nightcrawler's story is definitely more interesting especially with what you said about his kind of because the, the x-men are going into darker territory 
and I won't give it away, but the very next, the next issue, like it gets real. So, whoa. <laughs> Anyways, there you go. So that's uh, that's X Men two hundred six. Oh yes, uh, Nightcrawler. She leaves, and Nightcrawler lowers his cap and says, "I couldn't be happier." Right. I, I, so I don't know if that's like foreshadowing of things to come, or if... I think it is. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think it is. Could be. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Or did Chris Claremont like change gears and be like, "Nah, <laughs> I got this <laughs> other thing planned." I think they're usually a few issues ahead. So I would hope so. So uh, yeah, um, we got some. Some communique. Sure did. Got a Facebook message. We sure did. From a guy from, named Art. From Art. He uh, says he wanted to let us know that he enjoys our podcast. Great to relive the, relive the comic book memories from middle school and high school years of the 80s. Wanted to ask uh, if we had recorded an episode about X-Men Heroes for Hope, the 85 attempt to help victims of the famine in Ethiopia. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, we didn't cover it. Um, it debuted somewhere around X-Men number 200. I believe that's accurate. Uh, although I don't think it has any bearing on actual X-Men continuity. Um, that's just his question. Either way, thanks for the great work you do. Um, and yeah, keep it up. Yeah, we're definitely going to cover it. I don't know when yet. Um, probably pretty soon, but I, I don't know yet. Is there a specific point where you think it makes sense or did we miss that point? Well, uh, from a chronological, I mean, I guess it it doesn't it doesn't really matter, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, neither did X Men versus Teen Titans. Yeah, so so I, I guess I'm just waiting for a solid break in the story. It's our intention. Uh, it's been my intention, anyways, because I've never actually read it. Um, I I am well aware of the advertising uh, that went around it because it was in uh, every issue of um, comic books at that time. And as I understand it, like every second page is by another artist and writer so i can only imagine that the whole thing's a disaster yeah it's uh i flipped through it i haven't read it yet but yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely going to be a lot to talk about <laughs> so we we'll get there we we'll get there and if uh if there's any other listeners out there that uh are like hey you guys missed a certain issue uh, we feel like we've been pretty thorough with our coverage, but let us know if you think we've missed something because I'd certainly, you know, wouldn't hesitate to go back and, and take a look at whatever that missed uh, issue is. Uh, and you can reach us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. Email us, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Get us uh, on iTunes. Just go into the podcast section, search up Danger Room. We're the first podcast that'll show up. Or you can give us a phone call at 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636. And our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. True that, yo. I uh, should mention his full name. I just looked it up was Art Brown, but for some reason I didn't copy it over no. to our notes. <laughs> I'm sure he knew. Well, yeah, I'm sure he knows too, but I want our fans to know. Oh, okay. There you go. Now Art Brown's just going to get stalked. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. So, uh, Adam, did you do any additional reading? I read uh, New Mutants number 41. Not a lot to say about this issue. Uh, it is a solely, uh, a, a solely, a solo Danny Moonstar uh, story where she goes back to hang out with her folks for a little while. Um, if you recall, they were returned. They were they were dead for a while, and then they turned turned out that the death bear thing was them or something like that. 
So she goes home, lives with them for a little while. She has a run-in with some old, uh, her old uh, friend who I guess was secretly in love with her, um, or maybe she did know. It's I'm not really sure. And she battles death for his life, and she loses, and she has a valuable lesson. Oh, it's a good issue. Um, it's not really relevant to what we're doing. Okay. Yeah, I, I flipped through it, but I did not actually read it. Um, but I did. I was busy, man, reading a whole bunch of X Factor stuff. Most of not it didn't. Not most I of. Was, I had a late week. Nice. Most of it didn't make any. Uh, well, any bearing on anything. Uh, first up was Iron Man Annual Number Eight. Um, it's an interesting story about a mutant boy who can warp reality and has a split personality in the guise of a frog who gets him to use his powers for bad things. The boy is ultimately kidnapped and taken to the Project Pegasus facility in which Quasar, Claw, and Electro are referenced. This is the same place that Dazzler was taken, if you recall. Didn't Quasar and Claw appear in that issue? Yes, Quasar was like the Pegasus defender and Claw was a prisoner. Cool. Yeah, full circle. Um, X-Factor is threatened by the boy's father who thinks they kidnapped his son because they are mutant hunters. X-Factor decides to investigate to see if they can help the mutant boy. Iron Man is at Project Pegasus to power up some tar- uh, Tony Stark gizmo. I don't really know what it was, but, it, you know, whatever. Tony Stark is Iron Man was there to power up Tony Stark gear. And Iron Man and X-Factor fight for a little while until Beast and Iron Man have a quick Avengers sidebar and make everything okay. Um, ultimately, the boy ends up realizing that the frog is actually himself pretending him, uh, protecting himself from himself and ultimately sacrifices himself. And that was me saying himself as many possible times as I could in one sentence. That was a lot of himself. Yeah. And he he dies, man. He dies. And then the, the book actually, the annual ends with like the frog uh, sitting on top of his grave like, we're going to show him, aren't we? We're going to get him. So then you're kind of left like, well, was the frog a multiple personality or was he the frog a mutant and the boy was just the frog's tool? Yeah, it was, sounds cool. I like stories like that. It was... For an annual, it, it was not a bad story, um, but really had no bearing on anything. The, mm-hmm. the the typical, like, oh, my God, they're mutants. We got to do something was, was what X-Factor did. Okay. X-Factor annual number one, um, which I find interesting that it comes out only six issues after the uh, series has been out. But Well, I'm wondering if it came out later, but this uh, X-Factor collection decided that chronologically it fits here oh that could be it is maybe it came out closer to like issue 12 but yeah the issue it makes sense because this is kind of a break in between a bunch of stuff that's about to happen in x factor um and this story really has this story could take place anywhere really (laughs) because there's nothing nothing of any importance happening here but the russians uh want x factor to tell them about their mutant hunting um, techniques and the state department would like X factor to go over to Russia and help the Russians. So <laughs> off they go to Russia to, to go help uh, some dude named Heinrich Heinrich um, who has a camp 
in which he is uh, experimenting on mutants. He's dissecting them and doing all sorts of horrible things to the mutants. So X-Factor is like, we got to stop him. So they try to infiltrate uh, this dude, uh, and and the Soviets have them on lockdown, and it's all very weird Soviet block type stuff. But it turns out that this Heinrich dude himself is actually a mutant, we think. And he is actually able to detect that X-Factor is actually mutants. And he's like, what's these people's games? Have they discovered my camp? And, uh, you know, things happen. It turns out that this guy has the ability to um, transfer powers. He can kind of absorb the look and the powers of somebody. So he absorbs Bobby, but Bobby is still able to stay himself, but... He's captured. It's really weird. And uh, Heinrich poses as Iceman with X-Factor, and they go into the camp, and Heinrich attacks X-Factor, and X-Factor ultimately triumphs. And it turns out that this Heinrich dude is not actually a mutant. He's the first genetically created mutant. And Ooh. I honestly don't remember why, but he's dissecting all of these mutants to try to learn about how their mutant genetics work, and I don't remember why. <laughs> Ultimately, X-Factor is able to shut down the camp, and they meet some other Russian mutants uh, that are looking for their brethren. They release all of the mutants that are left alive, and uh, Heinrich escapes, but on the same airplane that X-Factor is on back to the United States, Heinrich is also in first class, and he makes some quip about mutants. And then I think it ends with a, the end, question mark? <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. It wasn't a very good story. It was long for the sake of being long. Interestingly enough, it was written and drawn by Bob Layton. So. Remember the October Guard from G.I. Joe? I do. They were cool. Yeah. Eventually they made toys of them, they, but I never bought them. They did. They were very late in, yeah. in the run. Um, and then I also read X-Factor number five, which was way more interesting than either of those other two issues. Um, we meet the Alliance of Evil, which is comprised of Tower, Frenzy, Time Shadow, and Stinger. The Alliance of Evil is pursuing a junkie named Nolan. Nolan gets in contact with his ex-wife for some drugs and threatens her when she won't give him any, so she calls X-Factor because she's fearing for her life. Angel and Jean talk a little bit about Scott, but are interrupted by the Nolan case. During a training session, Artie shows Rusty images of Jean and Maddie, but Rusty doesn't know what to make of the images. X-Factor finds Nolan, but their cover is blown when it is realized that Nolan's power is to augment other mutants' powers. It's kind of a cool panel. They all show up in their X-Factor gear, and he's like, what are you doing here? And then uh, Iceman explodes into ice, Cyclops blows his glasses off of his face, and Jean's starts lifting stuff all over the place. I wish they would have been able to figure out something with like beast and angel, like maybe angels feathers could have like flown out of his wings and, and beast was just like hanging upside down for no reason. But, <laughs> but they're, they, those two are mostly unaffected. Um, X factor eventually tells Nolan what they do, but Nolan just wants out because everyone he uses or meets uses him for his powers as if he's a drug. And the only way to stifle his power is to stay high on drugs so it's kind of like a double metaphor. Wow, that's deep. Yeah. Beast thinks he can make a serum that will mellow his power and help cope with his, uh, with his drug addiction. But before they can get Nolan out, the Alliance attacks. The Alliance uses Nolan's wife as leverage to get him to augment their powers. And the Alliance ultimately defeats X-Factor and takes Nolan to their master, who we learn is a very shadowed apocalypse. Did you read the... Um back of the collection 
I did. So very, originally, very uninteresting. Originally, this was supposed to be by dictative of Jim Shooter. This was the owl. Yes. Wow. And okay, so I read it, and, and and what happened was there was like there was one creative team who started, I guess, with the first four or five issues, and they wanted to go this direction, and then a new creative team came in, and they're like, "The owl, we're not doing well, that." Well, really, it's just uh, the writer. It was it was Jim Shooter and Bob Layton wanted to take the, I guess it was Jim Shooter's idea to take the owl, who was like a really low level villain from yesteryear, and reinvent him as a sort of super villain like avengers level super villain right as the arch nemesis of um x factor and then i guess bob layton the writer left and bob harris the editor thought that was a terrible idea and when he brought in a new uh writer they workshopped and created a new villain which was the direction that bob harris wanted to go in so it must have been Louis uh, Louis Simonson who was like, yes. nah. Louis Simonson starts next issue, yep. but I guess I guess the main driving force behind not using the owl was Bob Harris. Okay, and he's just he's the editor, the direct yeah. editor. Um, and apparently the last panel uh, is all in shadows because I guess they'd originally mocked up a owl image and instead of redrawing it they just shaded it all out i feel like they probably also don't know what apocalypse looks like yet could be i I think they just know what direction they want to go in yes and and they know pretty quickly i mean i guess it only takes them a month to figure it out because on the cover of the very next issue you get apocalypse so it's not like they're trying to pull a cobra commander and be like oh his face is super secret right um you're probably right they just didn't know what apocalypse was going to look like so they're like well we got this drawing of the owl. Let's shade it out. We know he's going to be a big dude, so let's go with that. Um, I yeah, I I read that and I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like I guess kind of the same reaction you had. Where I guess I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it would have worked. Who knows? We'll never know. Doesn't sound interesting, but <laughs> not at all. I mean, I'm not even. Was the owl even in that X Men? Villains of yesteryear issue? No, the owl was a daredevil villain. Um, he, all I know about the owl is that he has hair like Wolverine and he has claws similar to Wolverine, but he wears them and they're they're clearly outside of his hand. And I don't know, I seriously doubt there's any connection to Wolverine. No. Because Wolverine was like, or uh, uh, the owl was like a, a street level thug in Daredevil. I'm right. pretty sure that's all he ever did. Wow. Um, I believe the owl was featured in season one of Marvel's Daredevil on Netflix, but I think they reinvented him as like a lawyer or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched that series and that does not ring a bell at all. Not saying- Yeah, they don't ever call him the owl or anything, but oh, okay. it's like the name. The name is the same guy. Okay. It's like James Owlsley or something like that. Okay, sure. You know, classic naming. Sure, sure, sure. Uh all right. Well, do yourself a favor and, and look up uh, look up like Google images of the owl and tell me that he doesn't look like Wolverine. I believe you. I'm not going to do myself that favor though. Okay. I, <laughs> frankly, I just I just don't care that much. All right. <laughs> um. So there you go. That's that's it. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> so uh, remember, send your letters to Art Brown. Art Brown wants all your letters. So, yeah, until next time, Adam, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. No thanks to the owl. Thanks to the owl.